Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 184. I sat down with Frederick Falk. He's a mentalist and a magician, and you may have seen him on Fool Us with Penn and Teller. You may have seen him at the Magic Castle in Los Angeles or any number of uh, places. He is an extraordinary talent and a really great guy. And <laughs> he showed up here, full dapper down suit, looking so sharp. I loved it. Uh, we talked about all sorts of things, really fun, and I'm excited for you to listen. We he, he mentioned a lot of books and references, so I definitely will put those on the links page on heyhumanpodcast.com. Uh, other stuff, of course, social media, Hey Human Podcast. Check out my personal website, susanruth.com. Email me on heyhuman at susan at heyhumanpodcast.com. What else? Oh, if you shop Amazon, do so through the Amazon portal on the front of heyhumanpodcast.com, and that helps support Hey Human as well. All right, let's get into it. Here we go. Frederick Falk, welcome to Hey Human. Hello, thank you for having me. I'm super excited. So how about that? <laughs> <laughs> you said you hadn't had a mentalist on before. I have not. Okay. I've had, uh, I haven't even, I haven't had a magician either, and you're oh, both those you are, Yes. Now, is that traditionally the, uh, a mentalist, ooh, I love your ring. Oh, thank you. How fabulous is that? Thank is you. that an heirloom? Uh, no, it's, it's, I was given this when I graduated from Marine Corps boot camp. Oh. Yes. Thank you for being in the Marines. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> I just read that uh, the service men and women don't like to be thanked, that they'd prefer to be, it's, that you go like donate to the causes or do. Yes. You know, it, and it's funny having having just passed Veterans Day uh, and, and also the Marine Corps birthday, which are a day apart. The Marine birthday is November 10th. And then, of course, the next day is November 11th, Veterans Day. It's, I see the articles pop up every year. It's... It, Depend. I mean, everybody feels differently about it. I didn't ever serve in a combat capacity. I was a musician in the Marine Band, uh, which was its 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 own kind of animal. But I knew that in, when I enlisted, I, I auditioned before I, I enlisted to make sure I, I passed the audition process before I signed my life away. Yeah. So there was. I took more of a unique route that many people really aren't aware of that I talked to. They're like, oh, that's. There, you can do that. Yeah, I, I'm actually I, curious about that too. Every branch has its has its own musical units, so it's but it's a very niche profession. So and that's, what's that's the purpose it, of it too? Well, it's it's or? going yes, yes, going back many many generations, many centuries. That was the purpose: the fife and drummers keeping cadence, the buglers calling call and retreat or advance. That's in war. Yes, in, in yes. That's why field. you you see in old old paintings and and photographs and such. The the fife and drummers especially are right up front there with the standard bearers, the flag bearers, and that's that's how you could call the cadence. The officers would give a command, and either the drummer or the fife or the bugler would then play that, uh, and you would say the advance, retreat, cavalry front. That's that's and also yes, um, uh, morale and and the tradition of it. It goes back a lot, all the way to well for the Marines all the way back to Sousa. Who runs runs very deeply in our blood. Ah. So that's it was because when I growing up, I thought I wanted to be a musician professionally. Uh, so that then what I, did that, you that, that, that a clarinet oh. primarily. Okay. I, I taught myself trombone as well in high school because I got sick of playing the clarinet charts in pet band, which you can't really hear. And I thought if we're going to be playing Louie Louie and Tequila and Classic. Build me a buttercup in, in stadium band. I want to play something that's got a good a good chart to it. So I, the trombone had the best brass line. So oh. that was a little detour. But then this opportunity to audition for the Marine Corps music program just fell into my lab my senior year of high school. So I thought, oh, what the hell? Why not? Do so, they? Do you have, still have to go through basic yes, training? Yes. Yes. Boot camp, same as everybody else. Mm -hmm. Combat training, rifle qualification, swim qual. Yes. Oh, there's a swim qual. Yes. Oh wow, interesting. Yes. Well, I guess that makes sense because mm -hmm. it's well, we, yes, yeah. Yeah. So that was, I was stationed on Oahu, which was terrible. <laughs> it was awful. Traveled to corners of the globe I was scarcely aware of, which was, that was an education at 18 years old. Absolutely. So, but How old I, are you now? Uh, 31. Okay. You look quite young. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Bless. Moisturize. Moisturize, kids. Moisturize. Yeah. Especially in California. Oh, God. And stay out of the sun and drink so lots of water. dry here. Yes. I drink... Seven times throughout a lot Gro of Well, growing up in Wisconsin, where it was, it ah. was uh, just grossly humid in the summers. Mm -hmm. 
just you walk outside and you feel like you have to shower. Plus and, all that beer and cheese keeps you hydrated. Well, yeah, yeah, the cheese anyway, yes. What's your favorite cheese? <laughs> well, there's a thing, and, and you know, living in, in L.A. for as long as I have and having friends who are from so many different places, because that's what L.A. is, right? Nobody I know is from here, or very few. But when I say cheese curds, people give me like this, the dog, like the tilted head thing. Like, what? What? I, I, you can't really describe it without having it. It's, it's a little kind of a lumpy little piece of cheese. It's not like a perfect little ball, like mozzarella. It's just, it's, you can have them fried or just, I prefer them in the summer when they're made fresh. It's called, they're called squeaky cheese curds. That's how you know they're fresh because when you bite into them, they kind of squeak against your teeth. I know that sounds really bizarre, but it's, it's a thing. Like you, it's, it's, I guess it's, it's like beignets for people from Louisiana. It's, it's everybody kind of, or the, the New York versus Chicago pizza war. It's, What's the cheese curd taste like in comparison? Well, it's, I mean, it, it's, it's, they usually come in other white or yellow cheese. Oh. So, mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's. I think the word curd maybe throws some people. Right. It's like, is that, like, you think of, like, cottage cheese? Like, the little curd, but no, no, it's, it's, they vary in size, but usually they're, they're, the size of, of a quarter or so and I, it's just you you have to try it right now everyone from wisconsin that's listening is no thinking, matter yes they are, you know, they're all they're all salivating yeah. and they're all thinking oh cheese curds when i was stationed on oahu my high school sweetheart would would overnight things with dry ice wisconsin salami and ham and and fresh cheese curds and i i gave them to, to, so the, to the to the everybody in my unit they said what what is this are you talking about i said okay next batch i get i will let you try some and they i, 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 I changed i changed some lives yeah <laughs> with those cheese curds that's a good girlfriend so. dude that sort of stuff okay so you were <laughs> anyway but since i love the backstory so you were uh traveling as the musician mm-hmm. Now, even though you've gone through basic training, so they teach you how to shoot, yes. how to do all those every maneuvers. Marine is, as, as we say, every Marine is a rifleman first. Yes. And so, how, what would be your daily capacities then? Well, it depended on what we had coming up on the calendar. Every morning started out the same. It was, it was PT for about an hour and a half or two hours. And then we'd shower, change, and generally in the mornings when it was still fairly cool, we'd do our field drill. So out on the street or in the field block formation, just it, we did a lot of change of commands, retirement ceremonies. So that was all fairly standard repertoire, marches, mm-hmm. pass and reviews, things like that. A lot of Sousa material. So that was just kind of staying sharp, following the drum major and the mace commands and whatnot, staying sharp with that. So, and then we'd move inside, we'd maybe break into our different ensembles, depending on, like I said, well, whatever we had coming up on the calendar. If it was birthday ball season, which just passed, we played for our, our battalion and everybody else's. So we'd end up doing five to 10 birthday dif- different birthday balls in a season. Mm-hmm. So that's Marine Corps birthday. Yes. For those that don't. Yes, the Marine Corps yeah. birthday balls. So then obviously they gave birthday parties to every Marine on their yeah, birthdays. Well, <laughs> nobody would be left standing. <laughs> Marines the Marines can drink. Yeah. <laughs> so there's that. We went on tour quite a bit throughout the year. Did any of your fellow uh, military people have any issue with the fact that you would not be seeing combat? Was there any of that rivalry? Well, there was the... Or ribbing, even? Oh, oh, absolutely. There was was some rinksmanship. We prided ourselves, because musicians in general, depending on which band you're in, there's 10 different fleet bands around, mostly around the continental U.S., and then there's us on Hawaii with the Marine Forces Pacific, and then the Okinawa band in Japan. And then there's the Commandant Zone and the President Zone. Those are in D.C. Those are... They're, those are kind of their own special units. They, they're OFP, we said, own, own program. Uh, we, yes, the, the grunts kind of looked at us like they just pinned on our rank willy-nilly. We didn't really earn it. But we, we prided on ourselves as being kind of the face of the Marines because we did all these public tours and goodwill, good relations, things, hearts and minds, if you will. <clears throat> so... We had even extra qualifications that went into promotions. So everybody has, so your rifle score, your PFT score, your physical fitness, your pros and proficiency in conduct marks, uh, whether or not you're a good Marine in general, if you've gotten in trouble or not. But for us as well, we had our playing score. So we had to audition twice a year in front of our bandmaster and band officer. And every rank had its kind of base 
playing score you had to maintain. And then to be eligible for promotion, you had to, the theory was you always should be advancing in your technique and your, and your mastery of your, of your instrument. <clears throat> so if you weren't quite up to snuff for a promotion, everything else could be locked on. You could have a first class PFT, great pros and con marks, uh, great expert rifle score, but if you're not quite playing up to your where you should be, then you're going to be held back. Mm -hmm. So that was a big misconception was they just they threw on this rank because they wanted us to all look the same in uniform. But so you were able to move up. And yes, I did. Yes, That's I was. It was it was a struggle for me because it was, you know, the big fish in small pond moving into a, a small fish in a very big pond. When I was in high school, I was I was a section leader. I was. I was first chair. I was I was what I thought very good at the time, and then I get to the Naval School of Music after boot camp, and I realize, oh no, oh no, no, I'm very behind. Wow. So there was I had a lot of catching up to do, and I, I worked with some just naturally gifted people. One of a good friend of mine, who was from West Covina, he went <clears throat> to L.A. County High School for the Arts. And he and I were a class apart at the Naval School of Music. He went out to Oahu just about a month or so before I did. He was always first chair. He was just naturally gifted. He tutored me at the School of Music because I was struggling. But it was, it was infuriating because I, mine was a practiced talent. His was just gifted talent. And it was... It, but that's, you were so Larry, he was Mozart. Yeah, well, <laughs> if you, yeah, I guess you could look at it like that, just the tortured soul. So there was, and even when I got to the fleet, it was, it was never done. My, my army instructor, God bless her, Staff Sergeant Wilson, because <laughs> we, we, we had classes every day at the School of Music, and then you had, depending on your playing ability, you had lessons, private lessons mm -hmm. with your instructor, and she was she was an army instructor. It was it was a naval school, but the Marines and the Army also had detachments there, so we all studied together. And she said, when I when I squeaked by my graduation audition, I, I ran to her office. I said, Sergeant Wilson, I got it. And she said, I'm, I'm good, good work, congratulations, I'm proud of you, but this is just the beginning. Don't stop, mm -hmm. never stop, never mm -hmm. stop practicing. This is once you get to the fleet, this is going to be a whole new animal. And she was, she was not wrong. Do you still play clarinet? Very occasionally. That's why I was kind of segueing when I decided. So I did my four. I was, I was very near to re-enlisting, but I just, the writing was on the wall. I never, it felt, got to feel too much like work. It, it crushed my soul because I loved music growing up. So I, I really took a long, hard look at what would, and, and my staff, staff NCO retention, SNCO, said, oh, he's this big, big, stocky guy, Staff Sergeant Ramos. He said, Falk, I can keep you on Oahu. I can send you to jump school. You can get your wings. I can, I can send you to embassy duty for, for a tour. You can, you know, you could do all these things. I, I was very near, very, very near to doing it. I had a re-enlistment bonus, but I just thought, no, I'd be doing it for the wrong reasons. I'd known about the Magic Castle for some time, and my mother's side of the family was from Southern California. I grew up in Wisconsin, where my dad's side's from, and my Which parents- town? Wisconsin. Well, just a little bit south of Madison. Okay. So, go Badgers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but, and my parents had divorced when, but when I was younger, and my mom had said, whatever you do after high school, I'll support you, but I'm moving back home. She was not counting on me going into the Marine Corps. She thought I was gonna go to her alma mater, UCLA or Berkeley, of course, my father wanted me to go to Madison, UW, where all of my dad's side had gone. So there was this, there was this push, push and pull between them, and I was their only child. So that was also another, another reason that I chose the Marines instead of staying in Wisconsin or going moving out to California for school. Because I knew I wasn't going to make both of them happy, and all of a sudden this opportunity just dropped into my lap. So I said, I love you both, but I'm taking door number three, and we'll see what happens with this. But as I, as I said, music turns out was not what I wanted to pursue for the rest of my life, but I had a great time doing it while I was in the Marines. But going back to, I digress. So my mother had moved out here after I graduated high school. So I would then at Christmas when we got leave, I would come stop here to see my, my mom and my grandmother and my mom's side of the family and then go back to Wisconsin for the rest of Christmas to see my dad. And, or it's actually Christmas. Well, yes, <laughs> palm trees and then, and then snow. <laughs> Which was a little jarring, but you, you get used to it. Being, being living on Oahu for three years, I was mm. spoiled. It was, moving to L.A. was an easy choice. I mean, it's still a little bit shocking going back home at Christmas now, which I will be next month. It's, it's very cold, and my father said it's, it is unreasonably cold, in his words right now. They just got another four feet of snow. Anyway, so I, I'd known about the castle, and I grew up also loving magic, because I was a, <laughs> a 
a bit of a sickly child growing up in, in Wisconsin. I had terrible asthma for years and, and crippling allergies, and I grew up on a farm, my family's farm, which in the spring and summer was not conducive to playing and, and running around like young kids were wont to do. So I think right around seven or eight, I, was, I got a little magic kit for, for my birthday or Christmas, as, as you do, as, as a lot of my friends did back then. You know, kids going to go through that magic phase. And I, just, I, took, I ate it up, and I took this thing with me everywhere. School, Cub Scout meetings, everywhere. And I drove everybody crazy with it. But I realized, after not really being able to have, you know, playing and doing sports like, like most of my friends were doing, I, I had this, this almost effortless ability with magic to just captivate people with very little effort on my part and, and pull them in. I thought, oh, oh, there's something here. There's something to this. Do you remember what some of the first tricks were in the kit? In this little box, there was a wand that you could make kind of magically shrink or grow. There was a rope trick. There was the ball in vase where you cover up the little ball and then it vanishes and you can bring it back. There was the, the one I got, I remember, that I, I carried with me always because I could fit in my pocket. It was this little kind of, it was called a block and penny. It was this little kind of flattish square block of plastic and a penny. And you'd pass the block over the penny and then you'd take it away and it would turn into a dime. And it, it fascinated me. I, I did this for myself over and over, and I did it for my friends and everybody, and I'd do little, little magic shows in, in, the, in the living room, and I just I kept getting more. I'd save up my allowance, and I discovered a magic shop that's actually still there. One of the last few brick-and-mortar shops, I think, in the country. It must be it by this point, thanks to the Internet. This wonderful, sweet little old man and his wife, an Army veteran, um, and he runs this, this costume and, and, and magic shop back home. And once I discovered that, that was it. What's it called? I, Does uh, it still Con run? Conjurer's Corner. Yes, I, I believe so. And when I was at two, two different years apart, very most unfortunately, just the, the most sweet Christian couple, don't smoke, don't drink. One year I came home on leave and he had gotten through some kind of throat cancer. He survived, but he lost a lot of weight. And then the next year I came home, I thought, please still be alive. Then his wife had gotten breast cancer. So they, they, they both survived, thankfully. But it, anyway, but they held on to the shop. They live above the shop. And they really, I don't know what kind of business they do anymore. Half of his other, his other building was, was also welding. He, he welded professionally. Mm -hmm. uh, because I can't imagine there's much money in, in a magic shop anymore. Sadly, I hate to say that. Seattle Pike Place Market has some... Yes, I know. I've been there many times. Yeah, and it's always hopping. I know. Well, it's when you're in a big touristy destination like that. Like there, was, there, was an, there was a shop on Navy Pier in Chicago for many, many years that I, every time I went, it was just... But you get the tourist crowd, and they sell the touristy tricks, the light-up thumbs, and whatnot. Mm -hmm. that aren't really even much of a secret anymore, unfortunately. But, yeah, he's, he, was, he would actually take the time. Once I... There was... It was like like the old the old guard that I grew up reading books and watching old VHSs of like that you'd go into the back room and you'd have to gain these guys trust. They'd look at you like who's this who's this pipsqueak. And I kept going back and he finally said after maybe a month and a half or two months of this he said, "All right, kid, what's what's your story? You're you're not going away." Because he'd, he'd, he'd give me his standard sales pitch. He's like, oh, this is really hot. And these kind of self-working things. But I, didn't, I wasn't interested in that. I wanted, I wanted to get past the nuts and bolts of this little kit that I'd gotten. And I wanted to read books and, and really start studying. And he said, okay, all right, I'll, I'll show you the real work. And that's when it really started to take root. And I started studying. And he, he loaned me some of his own books. And he said, go to the library. Here's... Here's the, the Dewey Decimal Code. It's kind of like runners who have the 26.2 sticker on their back. They're marathon runners. Magicians have the similar sticker, but it's 798.3. And that is the Dewey Decimal Code for magic, the magic section in a library. And it's, I, I, the first time I saw that, I thought, oh, that's cool. Because that, that's so niche. It's like this little secret society that only, it's like runners have their thing. Other, it, it, but I thought, that's, that's so cool. This, this number that's meaningless to anybody else. But if you know it, you know it. You're in the club. I thought that was so cool. So I did. I, was, I got a library card, and that's where I lived, just studying, studying from books, and that's where I still do. I, I, I've not really, that with the internet and YouTube and all of these videos that you can download, I just, it's, For you it's, it's not very organic. Yeah. Because the thing with books is they give you the mechanics and the foundation, like you're building a house, and then they leave it up to you to, to build the rest, the frame and the roof and everything, and, and to decorate it, if you will, to make the routine your own and make it unique. But with videos, and I, I, I do have students that I take on occasionally, 
And I always start out the same way. I say, Word, what's your background? Do you have any kind of foundation yet? Have you read anything? What have you watched? And I had this, this young man a couple of years ago. He said, oh, I watch YouTube videos. And I, just, I, I, I cringed. I said, okay. So I have to unlearn all of these bad habits and, and kind of go back to square. Because when you do that, when you watch a video, yes, they might be teaching technique, but you just end up parroting what they do. It's, 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 it's mimicry. Right down to their presentation and their, and their scripting and everything. And that's, that's not, that's fine, but it's not original. That's the, the thing about magic is you have to make it your own instead of doing what somebody else is doing. Because that's, where's the fun in that? Well, that's an interesting question. If you, if all of, or many of these tricks are in these books, how do you maintain the mystery and the... Well, it's, the, the, it's like I said, not everybody knows. You'd think it would, well, with the internet now, it's a little bit easier, accessible. These people do these, these how-to and these revealing videos on YouTube, which drives me absolutely crazy. But it, there is still, by and large, people don't want to put through the effort to just learn just for the sake of learning. Some people genuinely like the mystery of it. Muggle, I, I mean, muggles, think, yes. Yeah, it's, it's fun it's, to go It's like watch. when, when yeah. Ben Mesrick uh, wrote his book, uh, Bringing Down the House, about the MIT blackjack team. Mm -hmm. That, that took Vegas so, uh, a few years ago, and then they made the movie out of it, the 21, which, Spacey. Uh, yes, uh, Spacey and, and Lawrence Fishburne. And they, the producer, you know, there was, I, I always love watching the special features when I get a DVD or now Blu-ray, I guess. And they said, somebody asked them, he said, or, or Ben Mesrick, the author of the book that the movie was based on, he said, aren't you worried about the people are going to go out and do this? Weren't, weren't the, the casinos worried when the production team rolled in to start filming that people were going to come in and learn, start learning to count counts and count Count cards, not cows, sorry. No. Uh, and he said, no, actually, we really hope that they do watch this movie because they're never going to put in the time and the effort to actually learn this system. Uh, and I don't think people want to get their fingers broken, so... Yeah, <laughs> anyway, right. I mean, that, I don't know if that happens anymore, it's not the days of Bugsy Siegel like it used to be. When you were a kid, were you drawn to a particular magician? <sighs> he, yes. Well, my first book set... Uh, maybe the pinnacle of magic books was the Tarbell set. That was my first ever book, which there are eight. Doctor Professor Doctor Harlan Tarbell was was one of the quintessential magic teachers, and his books are still. I mean, if if what's when I tell my students, if you if you want to start somewhere, start with Tarbell. Is there's nothing you can't find. In the words of my now past a good friend and mentor, Denny Haney, he said he was always if somebody would come in, some young kid or somebody would say, can you can you tell me what if I he said look in Tarbell. Look in Tarbell, look in Tarbell. It's, it is all there. Each book is kind of dedicated to different kinds of magic. So, but that's like I said, going back to my previous point, that's why I love books because it gives you enough, gives you the foundation, but it's up to you to complete, to build the rest, to make it your own. Well, let's dig into that for a minute. So you are, you learn about a trick yeah. in one of these books or, mm -hmm, or whatnot, sure. and then you take that mm -hmm. and now you have to layer it up so sure. that it's not just the it's, trick. It's, it's, it's like writing a song. Well, yes. Well, it's, like, it's like its, like its own little miniature one act, like in three parts. It's mm -hmm. like, okay, here's the beginning. It's the prestige. Mm -hmm. you know, you've got the pledge. Here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm showing you. This, this ordinary something. The turn, I'm making it now do something extraordinary, and, and the prestige, the reveal. So it's, it's really the rule of magic, the rule of threes really heavily applies in magic. It's just, it's got a good rhythm. One, two, three. Like, like a good trilogy. It's like why Bob Zemeckis didn't want to make a fourth Back to the Future. He said, no, three's a good round number. I'm ending it. It feels right. A fourth one would feel gratuitous. It wouldn't, it, it, the, the cadence is wrong. Are you it, listening, George Lucas? <laughs> yes, you're welcome. All these, I'm giving you all these plugs. <laughs> um, but yeah, that rule very heavily applies in magic. So it's, yes, it's, it's, but it's, it's theatrical. I see so often, especially at the castle, very technically highly skilled magicians, things, doing things that I could never do with cards and coins in my wildest dreams. But they're just, and it, they're not showmen because that, it is a skill. That's, that's something that I, I came into naturally is, is not having stage fright. I loved being in plays and, and show choir growing up and whatnot, just being on the stage doing the talent shows. But that, it's, it, that is something to be learned, just, just how to present yourself, but also how to make it engaging. How, how, why should I care about what you're doing? That was one of the first lessons the entertainment director, Jack Goldfinger, at the Magic Castle. He books all the talent week to week. 
in all the showrooms. It's a great name for yes. a magician. Yes, well, Goldfinger and Dove, he, he and, his, and his lovely wife were very famous magicians yeah. at one point in their own right, and still are. They're, they're still loved. But he said, when I, when I first approached him, not long after I became a member, back in 2011 at the castle, uh, right after I left the Marines, I approached him with an idea for an axe that I had. And he said, okay, that's great, but he said, first, make me care, and then try to fool me. Why should I care about what you're doing? Okay, that's great, you're doing this. You're, you're cutting and restoring a rope, seemingly magically. You're, you're doing this, that, and the other. But why, why should we, why should I as the audience care about what you're doing? Where's the emotional hook? And that, that really stuck with me. That was kind of a way I was trying to verbalize it myself for so many years, but he, he, he gave that verbiage for me. He put that in, into the words that I'd been looking for. He said, make me care, and then try to fool me. Don't just... Here's something that I can't do because that's it's what I see. They, they magicians turn it into like, like this. Not they're not against the audience, but they turn it into this puzzle. Like here's here's something I can, I can do that you can't do. Be impressed, and that's that's Which feels that's, that's, that's yes yeah. yes right. because it's not very few performers I know and comedians as well can pull off that kind of snarky. Mm, like this, like it's almost a challenge. You really have to own that. I, I can't do it. I, I, I don't like that because, because or, or a, a wonderful British performer, the, one of the first, if not the first, I think, to ever fool Penn and Teller on their show, uh, John Archer. He's got that very, that very kind of dry British wit. Uh, um, Gazzo is another one. He's, he's a street performer, very well-known British street performer, the Cups and Balls, and he's, he's but he, they, they have that kind of dry wit. They can get away with that. He said Cups and Balls. Yes. <laughs> Just so you know, it yes. was not cup the ball. No, cups and balls. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Um, the Penn and Teller show, you know, when I told my dad that I was going to be, uh, that I was having you on the oh, show, yes. he'd heard of you. He said, I think I saw him on the Penn and Teller show. <laughs> oh, I said, Thank you. Thank you, Father. Isn't that, isn't that wild? Uh, that's, I was, I was just somewhere recently. Oh, oh, uh, Saturday evening this past, I was, I was downtown at the Cicada Club, an old Art Deco dinner and dance club. My girlfriend was, was singing with Phil, Phil Crosby, Bing Crosby's grandson. And somebody at the table right next to us said, were you... Are you are you Frederick Falk? I said, oh God, here we go. Uh, but it's 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 interesting. It's like I, I have a handful of friends who are very well, well busy working actors, and and whenever I'm out with them, they they get that. And I say, is this is this what that feels like? <laughs> but they said, actually, they twice. They said, well, you went fool us a few seasons ago, and. Did I see you at the Magic Castle once? I said, well, yes to both. Thank you. Let's talk about that show for a second. Oh, yes. Fool so, Us. Fool Us. And it's Penn and Teller have magicians come on. Yes. And mentalists. Well, well, any, yes, magicians. I've, I've even seen a couple of variety artists, if you will. I saw there was a sword swallower that I know that was on that, that kind of turned that into a bit of a, a magic effect. Mm -hmm. And then they... So you, you go if you are so the... It's not like America's Got Talent. It's not... You don't audition for them. You They find you. The first season, the first U.S. season, Back in 2015, was that when I was contacted by the talent producer, and he said we're casting for the for the because it is it had started in Britain initially, and then they they canceled it despite it doing very well. I don't know why. And then the CW picked it up and brought it over here to the states. And that first season was when I was contacted out of the blue by Darren Toon. Hi, Darren, the the, the talent producer who I believe I think still is. And he said, here's who I am, where I assume you know who Penn and Teller are. We're looking for talent for this first, first U.S. season. And I came across your website and YouTube channel, which was seeing a lot back then, a website that I built myself, which was awful, and my YouTube channel, which had two very terrible videos on it. I said, really? Thank you. What do you need from me? He said, well, send me your, your go-to, your favorite effect, your favorite, your pet routine, and a backup so I can show the other producers. And I did, I actually went and filmed something with my good friend, Tad, who's a wonderful magician himself. He's an editor. At the time, he was working at Paramount. He said, come to the studio, we'll find a space and we'll shoot something. And he, he, he cut it together for me. It looked marvelous. I'm still convinced that he's the reason I, I was selected in the first place. I tried to do a demo tape myself and it was awful. So I, and he, he said, Let, look, I'll, I'll help you. So I sent it in, and I don't know how many, how many dozens or hundreds of magicians they contacted. There's, there's generally about 30 per season, because they do four magicians per episode. And, and then, yes, I ended up getting selected. They flew me out to Vegas for about a week. 
And so, yes, that's the, the premise is you go out, you do one effect for them, they deliberate, they have to try to figure out how you did it. And I've since then become somewhat infamous for having argued with them at great length. If, if people still remember this, I know I do. Um, not because I was trying, as I even said to them, I'm not trying to be belligerent, but you're not quite there. And it's, it's gone around and around the internet in these years since. And people still ask me at the castle and, and other magicians when I do shows, and they said, do you, do you still get questions about that? Because even the, the internet went wild after that, after my episode first aired. Because there was even some speculation on, around the, some of the magic forums as to whether I had or not. I hold no ill will towards them. I was, it was a pleasure and a privilege to do the show. It was, it was at that time, at 25, yeah. the pinnacle of my magical career, my first sure. national TV appearance. I loved it. It was amazing. I'm still, I still get work because of that. Uh, it's still right at the top of my website. Yeah. But it was, there's, there's still, there's I'll put links some, on hey Human there's, for it there's too. still, thank you. There's, yeah. there's still some debate every now and again. It pops up. I see it's like, do you remember that? What, what, whatever, what are your thoughts? I said, I, I'm I'm well out of it. I, were, I, were they wrong with their theory? Well, <laughs> without revealing anything, they, there was there. The, what what Penn and I went back and forth about was I didn't affect with a watch. Those of you who were listening that might have remembered the episode. In a nutshell, I didn't affect with a watch. My, my really my one of my first mentalism routines because I was still getting very new to mentalism at that time. I, I kind of started <clears throat> going way back to earlier in the conversation. You said kind of magic versus mentalism. Most people start out as in, 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 with close up magic, the foundations, sleight of hand, misdirection. The, the psychological principles and then if you progress into it long enough if you stick with magic then later on <clears throat> and if you kind of have the finances to, to do it you can branch out into different type styles of magic close up, stay with close up or kind of cabaret nightclub style stage big illusions Vegas you think you know the box illusions we call them or mentalism and I discounted that that branch of magic for years just because as many people would do when they don't understand something they just kind of ignore it I I I thought, oh, that's that which weird witchy woo. <laughs> yeah, I, just because I didn't get it, I didn't. I thought, oh, that's that that weird that, that psychic stuff, and I didn't really. But I realized I was being incredibly ignorant, just in not giving it its diligence, just by studying it, at least, just giving it a, a once over. So I, I, I did this effect with the watch where, and Simon Pegg, if you remember, I was, 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 was lucky, lucky enough to be my assistant or me lucky enough to do, be doing magic for him. As, as Penn said, wow, that was, that was amazing itself. You had yeah. Simon, obviously that wasn't random that had, they had planned that unbeknownst to me, they didn't tell me that yeah. when we start rolling and Jonathan Ross, the host at the time introduces him, I said, you can still hear my voice over. They cut away from me to Simon getting up out of the audience, but you can still hear me saying, Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Great. I thought, oh, okay, gotta gotta hold this together. I, which Simon I, Pegg is a genius. I love him. Yes, yes, and it was we had an, a lovely chat afterwards. Hi, Simon, if you happen to be listening. Oh, I hope to God you um, are. <laughs> <laughs> I did meet him again years later, uh, just in in passing, and he said, "Oh, I, I still remember that. That was it was a lot of fun. He was he was a peach. He was a wonderful assistant." But. It, yes, there was, anyway, I digress again. There was was some great debate about that. So I, I did the effect with the watch, and Simon had no idea, obviously, because the pen actually called him back up out of his seat after he I had released him back into the audience, and he, he asked him some questions. I don't know what, but he was he was really centered around the watch. So the, I showed, Simon chose a time, unbeknownst to him, he spun the, the, st the stem on the watch, and then I showed him the time he stopped at. And then he holds the watch in between his hands, and I, I, I divine the time, I, I read his mind, and get the, I get the time that he was thinking of, and then the hands on the watch disappear. I was, I've always been fascinated with the, with the concept of time, and I use that, that theme in a lot of my shows. Mm. And he was, he was very taken with it, he was very impressed, and... Penn started really going going on this this tangent about about the watch. What was could you have done it with a digital watch? And I said, well, that it wouldn't really even be the same effect because the hands disappear where he had seen them. Like I kind of in, inceptioned him into seeing the time on the watch, and so it. it Anyway, ultimately, it, it, it was ruled that I did not. They had to go all the, up, up to the producers. I remember there was a Mike, Mike Close yeah. and Johnny Thompson, rest in peace, uh, the, the two brilliant producers of, and technical advisors of the show. They have to have, obviously, some, some metric for, otherwise everyone would just say, no, you, you didn't get it. So they have to have someone some, who do some kind of a scientific, uh, mm. what's a control group who knows how it's done, but isn't going to tell them unless they absolutely need to. So we actually did. Jonathan Ross, he said, you know what, just, I'm going to cut this short. We're going to go up to the, to the two guys who know how it's done. And they, uh, 
you know, it was funny, Johnny Thompson later, after the, after the show was done, they released the audience and we did shaking hands and the pictures and everything. Johnny came out and he said, you know, you, you were close, but you didn't, you didn't quite get it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, now was that something that you had to show them the joke before? The joke? So, uh, so sorry, yes, Mr. when Canadians, you when you, you no no it's okay. <laughs> beforehand. So you, so yes, when you get when you get to Vegas, you you a couple days before your taping, you go into the kind of the, the green room and you're with the DP and the sound department because they they want to make sure they get all your the technical specs right. I've never been treated so well as a performer ever as an actor or as a magician than I was by that entire crew. It was it was the best. One of the best experiences I've had I ever had as a performer. So they took me, uh, uh, so they, just because they said, what kind of camera angles are good for you? Where do you need your mic? What kind of wardrobe were you wearing? It's really, really all well done. And you were very dapper that day. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yes, that was. You're, I mean, your look is very, your socks to your Well, I, I, I love everything vintage, particularly for me. My expression is in the attire. Some people drive old cars, you know, so some people really get into the music. I love the fashion and, and the music as well yeah. of the, the Edwardian kind of up through the, the 40s period. Yes. So, but the, the, that was my, with my cutaway coat and my spats and my cravat that was a very Edwardian yeah. look it was great so but yeah so we did a tech rehearsal with Johnny uh, Johnny Thompson and Mike Close the two uh, technical advisors on the show before we did the taping just so they knew how yes for that oh. like I said that kind of control group they knew how it was done so there's so there's some accountability there so yes they, they, they know how it's done but Penn and Teller obviously do not that's their that's what they're trying to figure out sure so <laughs> and they <laughs> Penn and Teller know so many tricks they, yes they, well they've been together now as a professional duo for I think over 40 years <sighs> Teller came from he was a, a community college professor I believe and Penn came from the circus world and they they met years ago and they just formed this absolutely I mean this perfect mm. <laughs> And it made quite the career out of it. Oh, absolutely. I had Martin Olson on the show, who was lovely and delightful, and he uh, used to write for Penn & Teller. Really? Mm -hmm. Oh. And write the comedy. Oh, marvelous. Of, yeah, so pretty neat. Small, small world. Uh, what then began your moving just from magic into mentalism? And firstly, let's give a description as to what mentalism is. For okay, people. so magic versus mentalism. This I actually opened my shows with this. I say for you muggles in the audience that don't know what mentalism is. No one will admit to being a muggle. Well, I always get a good laugh, which is why I keep that line. <laughs> uh, so I kind of say, yes, yes, my name is Frederick Falk. As our host said, or whoever introduced me, I am a magician, but more specifically, I am a mentalist. Now, ah, I see the eyebrows going up around the room. For those of you muggles, who don't know what the what the flip is mentalism allow me to give you the short answer it is mind reading but I, I sometimes I specify depending on what type of show I'm doing I'm not a psychic I don't I, I don't know I can't see the future so don't ask me I'm not a, I'm not a medium I don't I don't talk to your long-lost relatives I, I use the techniques that I use are as a mentalist as a mind reader are influence intuition psychology a little bit of mental misdirection and generally a lot of luck now, none of that is a lie. It's just not the whole truth. I can't give you everything, but sure. I give them enough to nibble on. Sure, sure. So I, so I, I kind of think, oh, what, I don't, because a lot of people, they, they have these kind of different ideas of what, of what mentalism is. They think, oh, you're a psychic, you read tarot cards. So it's, it's, it's going to be, is it very esoteric? So is, is, it, is it the occult? I watched a French mentalist whose name I do not recall. Oh, not, not, Jan, um... I think he, maybe he was Israeli, actually. He was not French. He not Ozzy, was it? Uh, not Ozzy Wind? I cannot remember his name, but he was, he was, he's been on James Corden a lot. Yes. And that, oh, what bugger. What was fascinating yep. about that guy when I was watching is that he could get people to do things with suggestion. So he was just with suggestion. NLP, yes, and that is another way when I say influence. Yeah, Influ sure. NLP, uh, Darren uh, Brown is is. Big, big with this. That's a lot of what he, he employs in his shows. In, in the over and above being a, an outstanding mentalist, he really has mastered that 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 psychological part of, of getting inside people's heads. Not in a negative way, but just understanding people, how people think and how people work, and and yes, getting them to do things. Micro movements, maybe in the yeah. Face. Well, it's 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 very. I, I I liken it to a poker player reading the tells of the player sitting across from him. So yes, micro expressions, muscle muscle movements. It's, uh, you know, breathing. It's, it's like cold reading. Mm. 
very the, the techniques are very similar. What was that show? There was a show, The Mentalist. Yes, and yes. So that's what he. Well, he was. That was kind of him faking being a to help he, them solve crimes. Right. He would fake being a psychic, yeah. but in reality, he was a mentalist. He, he well, yes, that's what he was. He yeah. was an out of work, I think, if I remember correctly. But he, yes, he employed many cold reading techniques to try mm -hmm. you know to catch to mm -hmm. catch the criminals. Mm -hmm. But that's that. Yes. Even though that's fiction, it was still fun to watch. Anyway, so back to you. <laughs> yes. So, but that's so. And I, I, depending on what I get hired for, for events and whatnot, I, I still do practice close up every day just to, to keep it fresh. I, I practice my the material that I have in my. I have three different sets, kind of standard go to routines acts that I do, ranging from anywhere from fifteen minutes to an hour, depending again what I get hired for. And some of that is and the venue. I always ask the same questions when I first get. If it's a cold call, if it's a repeat client, I generally know what they want. Especially this time of year around the holidays, I do a lot of corporate holiday events. So those are a lot of repeat clients that I have throughout the years. So I, I know what they want, what they're what they're looking for. But if it's a cold call, I always ask the same things. Where is it? When is it? How long do you want the entertainment to be? How, what's, so the venue will dictate this. I'm not going to do close-up in a theater. I'm doing a corporate holiday event in a couple of weeks at the Belasco Theater downtown. I'm not going to be doing close-up for a thousand people <laughs> for, this, for this holiday event. So that, that dictates the material that I do and, and the show that I will give them. What really, the best resource now living in LA and being a member of the Magic Council is the library. Yes, yes. It's and it is one of the two biggest single collections of magic literature and media in one place, other than the Magic Circle Library in London. We even have a restricted section that's behind a locked locked wooden and, and glass door. It's, yes, I love that. Only the librarian has a key to. So it's it's very much like Harry Potter. That's we have our old first editions, out of print, impossible to find books, books signed by Houdini, things like that. Any Aleister Crowley stuff in there? Is he? That's that's, that's an, an excellent. That's an excellent quote. Well, yeah, we we do have some a few a few esoteric things. I'd have to go back and look. It's it's so I'm so rarely in that section because it's I, I did just in my the, my fanboy my inner my inner magic geek when I first became a member. I, and you have to put on gloves to handle things. So, but I didn't really look in there because they are quite delicate. And then we have other copies, newer copies of things. So it's it's more or less just for the nostalgic mm. value. <clears throat> But it also lends enormous value to our collection as a whole. But that was the single best resource for me when I became a member. As, and as, just as a performer, as a magician, they have books I mean, on, on theory, on every single kind of magic, on, and biographies and technique. They have books on, on the circus side and juggling and ventriloquism and clowning and, and miming. <clears throat> so that's when I really started to... And there were a couple of effects that I was already doing. The effect with the watch that I did on Fool Us and another a card effect, that's the, uh, the tossed out deck. So it's, I take a deck of cards out, I shuffle it, and then I put a rubber band around it, and I toss it out into the audience to four or five different members. I have them stand, and they crack open the deck somewhere, peek at, peek at a card, memorize it, and then I never see the deck. I don't touch the deck again. And then I, I take a few moments, and I say, just think of, think of the cards that you saw in your mind. Then I, I name the four or five cards. And I say, if you just heard me name your card, please sit down. And everybody sits down. Now, I was doing this in the, in, in the middle of just my standard kind of magic act. And so it was what people call a mental magician. There's this big kind of divide between true mentalists and magicians who just do mental magic. They'll maybe throw something like that in the middle of their act. And it's mentalists kind of get a little, little uppity about that. It's, oh, you're not, eh, you're, you're cheapening it a little bit almost. Is, is the argument that I've heard. And I thought, oh, well, there's, and then after Fool Us, really, then I thought, oh, there's something to this. I was getting the greatest reactions from these, these single two effects out of the rest of my repertoire. So I really started pouring myself into the study of, of mentalism, where it comes from. Did it come from, kind of from the spiritualist movement around the turn of the last century? And the Victorians were obsessed with this. And then... Yeah, Lilydale in New York has a bunch yes, of mentalists. And there was a very famous girl, Anna Fay who was born in the late 1800s in Ohio and was discovered, I quote unquote, I'm doing finger quotes, by a very unscrupulous, fraudulent uh, magician medium or exposer of, of fraudulent mediums, whatever was playing better at the time, uh, by the name of H. Melville Fay. And he, well, her name, her, she was born Anna uh, Heathcliff. But she, he discovered her, and she was told, not, not discovered, but told at the ripe old age of 10 that she was a medium for the spirits of the other side. 
And under his tutelage, she became Anna Eva Fay, this very famous spiritualist. And then when the star of spiritualism finally started to wane in the, in the 20s, right around when Houdini was going on his crusade to expose all these fraudulent psychics and mediums that were taking people for their, family, their homes and their fortunes and their inheritances, she transitioned, she pivoted seamlessly into, <clears throat> instead of conjuring ghosts from her, the minds of her audiences, into conjuring thoughts. So she, she transitions just, just impeccably into becoming, into what would become one of the early 20th century's foremost mentalists and performers. I still do, one of my favorite effects is something that she was famous for doing. But that's, that was kind of the crux of it. So that, that's, that was one of the first effects that I, that I remember reading about. And that's why I'm so thankful to have the resource of the Castle Library. And then I just started, oh, this is, this is I realized that I, and I kicked myself for my years of ignorance for discounting this amazing branch of, of magic. So on that card trick where you have people stand mm -hmm. up and such, uh, do you have people afterward when you do the big reveal that you know what, they're, what they had? Um, do they corner you and try and get these secrets? Oh, absolutely. I get it every single time. It doesn't matter what. If I meet someone at a bar and I do something with a cocktail napkin, it's like, I always get three things. Oh, can you tell me how you did that? How did you do that? Mm -hmm. Can you make my wife disappear? <laughs> can you tell me what the lottery numbers are going to be? So, no, no, and no. <laughs> no. With the cardinal rules, you never do repeat the same effect twice, with very few exceptions that you can. Well, how do you do that if you're getting an act together? What do you mean, repeating the same? Well, it's, it's, there are very few effects that, because more or less, you do this one effect and it has the same outcome. There are some that, that have, will have a different outcome every time that you can repeat without ex risking exposing the method. But really, you don't, because if you show somebody something, especially a clever person, they'll, you show it to them more, even twice, and they might be able to start, start backtracking it in their mind, which is another reason why I love mentalism so much, because when done well, it's, it's like the violin or the oboe. It either sounds really good or it sounds like a dying duck. <laughs> mentalism is very much the same. I've seen wonderful mentalists who are very engaging and captivating, and I've seen terrible mentalists, because that, that more than anything else, be, it requires a lot of talking, whereas as some other kinds of magic can be very showy and expositional, just and can be done to music and are very visual. Mm -hmm. Mentalism requires you, you, really your performance skills have to be absolutely razor sharp. Is and there you, anything you, you can do you, you have to be engaging because there is so much talking. Yeah. Uh, getting, getting thoughts out of people's minds and just and, and giving them instructions on what to do. You, you have to be very clear and precise in your, in your directions and what you want them to do because it is a process like anything else. There is a technique to it. As I said before, influence, intuition. I, I studied a little bit of linguistic uh, communicational psychology in college, and which was which was enormously helpful. Just kind of how people interact with each other, but through a communicational standpoint, and even non-verbally, like like I said, cold reading and, and, and body cues and whatnot. So there's a, there's a lot that goes into it that I can't really describe like you would describe other kinds of magic, car, close up card tricks or. You know, even cabaret magic, the bigger kind of, not, not stage, but bigger than close-up. So smaller illusions, which comes from the old Victorian parlor magic, when a, when a performer would come into the homes of, of the wealthy, the, the aristocracy, and in their, in their sitting room, their parlor, and do this kind of medium-sized show for 30 or 40 guests for a dinner party. And so that's, that's my favorite kind of magic. I've read some really cool historical books about the spiritualism movement. Yes. Um, I'll put those on the website too because yeah. they're they were really cool. Mm -hmm. uh, Other powers was one. I've read a couple books on Lilydale. Yes. Um, I feel and like the, I've the, the read Fox about sisters before. and I mean, so cool. Mm -hmm. It's just fun yeah. and interesting. Do you have any that you can do over audio? Probably, it's probably more a visually. Thing. It's well, it, you know, there are some that I've heard done on the radio, and I I, I'm, I should have prepared something. Uh, maybe we can do a follow up okay. sometime. There is one thing I thought of. Um, but my, it needs, it requires me calling somebody. Uh, and I, I did try before I got here, but that's, they were un, uh, sadly unavailable. Ah, oh, bummer. Okay, yes. cool. It's something I would do for you, but then they reveal it on the other end. Sure, sure. That's so it, it is, yes. Huh. But so maybe. Next time. Maybe a, maybe a follow up. Yes. Yeah, next time. Um, okay, so you started down the path of mentalism, mm -hmm. but now... Relatively, me, relatively recently, if I, just within the past few years since I've lived in Los Angeles and had access to the, to the Castle Library. So there, there must be crazy growing pains with studying something like that. After, yes, after having already been so deeply 
entrenched in in close-up, specifically the close-up style of magic and, and parlor cabaret to an extent. Uh, it w- yes, there was there was some growing there was a steep learning curve yeah. because it's a, like I said it's a whole new presentational style. It's not so much here. Look what I can do that, you know, with cards and coins. Now it's now it's getting inside people's heads, working with their thoughts, their feelings, their emotions, and it's a little bit like like the Spider Man thing. Like with great power comes great responsibility because one of the, that that routine I do the, the three envelope test that I recreate from Anna Faye, uh, where I involve three different people, I've gotten some very intense reactions. I, I, I have made people cry, not because it was bad, but because it was so powerful. And that's, that's that kind of thing. And you, you have to be careful, really, not to abuse that. Uh, and, and just be sensitive to those and be cognizant of, of what kind of information you're dealing with. Because when I when I say think of maybe a relative that you had a str- very strong connection with, but who's passed, I want you to write down their name on a, little, on a note card, seal it inside of an envelope that I never see. And then I ask them questions about, I start to get a sense, I just say, think of this person, think of your relationship. And I say, this was, this was a woman, this was an elderly woman on your mother's side. And this, this, I remember I'm speaking about this particular show I did at the castle a few years ago. And she just, and I, sometimes I don't like to play 20 questions. I, if I, if I'm not getting a, the hits right away, I'll move on. Cause I don't want it. I, I don't want it to just seem like I'm fishing for the answer. Is it clicking in your head? That yeah. You're saying? Yeah. yeah. I just, I'm getting, okay, this is a woman. You had a very strong tonight. This is your grandmother. This is your, this is your maternal grandmother on your mother's side. And she, she just, she broke down. Mm. She's already. And then I, I've got a big kind of art notepad. And I, and I, 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 and I say, and I, I, I always remember this. Um, Adelaide was was this was this woman's name, which is you know it's one of those kind of old old classical names, kind of from that town, like like Maud or Beatrice or sure. um, I'll, I'll never forget that. Even before I, I got her, and then then I'll I'll say just think of her name, and I write down the name on my notepad, and I'll put that face down. I say I'm already committed to this. Would you? Then I tear open her envelope and I read the name, Adelaide. But I say, but she actually wrote down her nickname. She wrote down Addie. Which is what I wrote down. I said, and I, one of the questions I asked her oh, was, was, was sure. "Did you? You weren't thinking of? Did she? Did she? Your grandmother have a nickname? And she did. She just this woman. Did she just she's losing it. And I said she she passed relatively recently, and I, I that that could be variable. But I said within the past couple of years. So this is still very fresh for you. And she's just at this point, she's she's just she can't speak. And I and I open the envelope, and it's it's Addie, and that's what I wrote down. And. So that's that one of the, and I realized not from a maniacal standpoint. But I said, this, there is really something to this over and above them, the best sleight of hand that I've ever seen, which is like Shin Lim, who's, who's, who fooled Penn and Teller twice, I think, who wanted, just recently won America's Got Talent, does things with cars and coins that I could never do in my wildest dreams. But that's, that's kind of how I look at, at these very powerful tools as a mentalist. I, have, I look at that kind of the, in, in the same way. These, the, I mean, the effects that it can have on a spectator or an entire audience. You mentioned earlier, when just when you came in, that your mother's profession. Is... Oh, my, so my mother was a career criminal defense attorney. Her, 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 her professional life. And what did she say? She said, and with something. So as an actor and as, as a magician, essentially, I, I, I was. I lie to people for a living. I, I'm, I'm, I see my last, my last one-man magic show was, was entitled uh, Confessions of an Honest Liar. My life spent is in, in the world of ledger domain, pulling the wool over people's eyes. She always said, what, dealing with clients and, and being in the courtroom, she said, if you're ever at, talking to someone or, or if, you're try, if, if you need to know, tell if they're lying or if you're confronting somebody with something unpleasant, watch how they react. People don't get mad at lies. They get mad at the truth. Mm-hmm. I think that's so and it's And you can, you can it really, in a, in a way, you can definitely apply that. How has that to, affected your own personal the, relationships? Well, <laughs> 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 Do you always know when someone's lying to Well, you? and then when I really started going back a little bit previously in the conversation, study, studying the, the books of, of Darren Brown and his, and his techniques and kind of cold reading... And things like that, and and, and the, the communicational psychology courses I took in my undergrad. It uh, yes, it was a little disappointing to now realize putting these things into practice in the real world, and realizing without even trying to do it. Because I've, I've had friends say, "Are you are you doing this to me?" Like when I'm not, I've had I've had dates in the past. It, they, I, I took me early on I, a few years ago. I took a girl that I we we very newly been seeing each other, and I took her to a show that I was doing. 
this kind of underground dark cabaret show and she saw me do this effect with with a with a die with a, a, a playing die like from a board game where I that's kind of then some of the influence portion I, I kind of influence the person to choose the numbers on the die that I want them to with what they think it's a free choice and then we went out she and I went out for a drink afterwards and she said you know that thing you do with the die was do you do that you done that to me? Do you do that with, with your friends? I said, no, 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 no. That's I, I realized that you could you, you could be, use these things for very nefarious purposes. But Absolutely. no, no, I, I definitely draw the line at. It's like when I go and have friendly card games with my friends. They know what I'm capable of. But in in, in the early years, they would they would pass the deck from they would they would, they would skip. We'd, we'd pass the deal around the table as we were playing. I'd say, if you guys feel comfortable, pass. I, I'll pass the deal. So I'll pass it to the next person instead of. Then they finally realize because again, we play. You know quarters or whatnot but well you know that's <laughs> talking about getting your you know your fingers broken you know i, I don't want to alienate people and nor or <laughs> that's 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 all just an ethical thing have you ever read the book the men who stare at goats yes i love that book. and and the movie was quite ridiculous but the movie is nothing like the book no no it's not that was they took a lot of license with that but yeah. yes what did you think about if that? i ever find out that there's source material behind something i'll always go to the source material first it was i thought well i could see a little bit of this in what i do especially you know they, they, well it's, the government and the military have a long history of 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 very very um ow, what's the word i'm looking for uh experimentation well very very uh unorthodox yes. uh, methods yes. it's like when they when they when the lsd movement uh, when, sure. it, when they, the when, they when, when they were trying to yes absolutely i just had a really interesting npr article about that some some weeks ago uh about you know how they, they were tr trying to induce that in people I well thought, and oh there's my a God. form of mind control obviously in basic training they're trying to turn oh absolutely well they're, they're trying to bring mind. yes there yeah. is a lot you know in the marines not just because we have the longest and it's generally the most challenging boot camp of the services outside of the special branches the special forces but it is yes they, they're trying to instill in you break down who you were and build you back up the way they want you to that sounds a little bit barbaric but it really does i mean that's what you need in a good soldier marine sailor airman if you need you need to be able to, you need to be able to keep not lose your not lose your your mind under stressful conditions right. and to be able to follow protocol. They need to know who will lose their Well, mind yes, yeah, cuz that's you know we don't, we did we in boot camp we did we started with about 120 and we 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 graduated about 65 or 70 in my mm -hmm. platoon. It's certainly not for, for various reasons. I, I wish that there were programs to then unravel them back into normalcy. Right, and that's what a lot of things, without totally getting on a whole different know, tangent whole about veterans' thing. mental health. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, that's why it's so hard for, especially combat veterans, to reintegrate into civilian society. But that's that's a whole other. Uh, that's a whole. That's not. Box. That's not today. No, it's not. Um, so you perform a lot at the Magic Castle. I, I. So there's two ways you can perform as as when you're booked for the week so the the lineup changes every week so when you're booked in one of the showrooms the close-up gallery the parlor of prestidigitation yes i said it the palace of mystery <laughs> uh there's also a bar uh venue and another small uh theater that open up on on the weekends to accommodate extra performers and the extra weekend crowds so that when you're booked for that that's for the full week monday through sunday and depending on which venue you're in you can do anywhere three to four shows a night so it's a very long week but it's it's a lot of fun or uh, you, um, there's little, for, for the magician members, there are these little impromptu spaces around the club at which you can perform. You kind of, you, you, there's, a, there's a list, you sign up uh, for the night and you can do these little impromptu 15, 20 minute sets just for, for anybody who's there. And that's, that's really where I started cutting my teeth when I first became a member. I, 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 was, doing, I was there almost every night of the week for a year. Mm. Just, well, mostly I'd go early, early, right when the doors opened at five, and I'd go into the library for an hour or two, then I'd get some dinner, and then I'd, I'd start working on the material that I was 10, studying. 10,000 hours is yes. what you did. Well, I, yes, yeah. and, and it, was, okay. it was really, really helpful. Just, I mean, it's still the pressure of, uh, that's one of the reasons why the, 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 the auditions for membership are so competitive and, and the qualifications are so stringent, because they want to make sure they're not letting in some hack, somebody that's going to represent the club well. When you when you do these these impromptu shows, the privilege of having that opportunity in these in these different spaces. How what I mean, I've got a couple questions. One, yes. do you believe in what I like to call the woo-woo, other realms or possibilities? And two, uh, what has this journey taught you about yourself and other people? 
Because I'm sure it's given you oh, a super-duper yes. insight. Into so let's see. Answer one. So other, you mean other other realities, like parallel universes? Or? Any, any, whatever it means to you. However you want to answer that question. Yes, I, I think. And having studied philosophy as well in, in, in my undergrad and and everything that goes with that, I... It's, it's like I had this discussion, this argument with my mom for years. I think, you know, she, she believed that we're the only ones in the universe. I think the planets that we've discovered that are possible of sustaining life and, and out of the 10 to the, to the nth power stars that there are in just the known universe, I think it, it's, it's, it's somewhat naive to think that there, I, I don't mean like you or me or little green men, but some form of other life. Whether we ever like like the, like the like the Fermi paradox, where it's they're they're just too far away to get to us or mm -hmm. us to them. Uh, that's why we haven't made contact yet. Or have we? I well. <laughs> but what about the ghosties and the things like that? Ah yeah okay so that I I've always remained very open minded about that. I have friends who are genuine mediums. I, I attended Zachariah the Witch. Uh, a wonderful, one delightful human, and a very gifted reader and 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 spirit medium. He he hosted a very intimate séance some some time ago at my friend's shop, Deal Marcus and Company in Hollywood, where I've done many of my own shows. But it was very it was very intimate. There were only about ten of us around the table, and he he asked us to think each of about someone who who was passed. And my mother passed three years ago. Come, uh, it was it was was just three years this this Halloween weekend. Um, so it was coming up on that. So I, I was, but we didn't tell him anything. We didn't write anything down. He just, and he, he got, he did the opening and opened kind of the door for any, any entities to come in. And he, he told some people some very, and these are people that he'd not met before. It wasn't like he went digging around through their garbage, but it was, it was, I, I've always remained very open-minded and you know, I, so I, I, yes. Did your sense. mom bring you a message? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Zachariah said said uh, she she he gave me something that she that she would did to, it apparently told him. So that's lovely. Yeah, I said, and it was it was not just a reach. Like I, when I'm doing my cold reading techniques, I'll I'll there's there's a little bit of a little bit of kind of treading the waters and seeing what sticks and what doesn't. And if something does, I'll go with that. I'll say, oh, I got a reaction from them. I'm going to go with that. That's what cold reading is, Barnum statements. But I I don't use those broad blanket statements. I I will I try to get as specific as I can. Like the woman and her grandmother and the name that I, that became that was so clear to me right away. Uh, so it wasn't something he wasn't reaching. It was something very specific that that she that I can absolutely imagine her ha having said. I love that. So that's wonderful. And the second, uh, how has this affected me? You said as a person and how you see uh, humanity. Well, it's so yes, it has definitely given me a different perspective. You know, as, as an actor, you you you're always taking on these different, becoming different people. If you depending on what your process is, I'm not I'm not Brando. I'm not method. I don't jump into it like quite like that. But it is it is it's a, it's a character study. It's an inhumanity when you get to become someone else for however long or short of time. And I've done a fair number of television shows this past year. And so it's, I love that the television as a medium, as an actor, more than a feature film, because with television, depending on how long your character is there, what kind of an arc you have, you've got this room to kind of grow and expand and really just explore this character. Whereas a movie, you've got 90 minutes or two hours and then it's in. Hmm. Unless it's saga or something, but really, you two, you've got a, you've got a beginning and an end, and that's the, you, your character only exists inside that universe. So, but it, it, but yes. So to answer your your specific question, it has given me a lot of of perspective and kind of how I I navigate the world, and how I deal with people, both on a personal and professional level. Um, just kind of with things to look out for, and it kind of red flags. Okay, here's this hmm. person's not. You know, it's it's like that person who's always late for a meeting and blames traffic, or always always coming up with excuses. I say, oh you know, no, that's I don't I don't have time for that. You know, that was one big thing I miss about the structure of the military is the accountability, and and just that kind of sense of personal integrity and that sense of pride in in your work, and that's that's something that I've noticed is is lacking, especially in L.A. because there's so many people are trying to get something from you. Mm -hmm. Um, what can I, now the, the friendships that I've cultivated, and I've, I've had many come and go, but the ones that I've, I've kept, and it's, it is a very tight circle in these eight and a half years that I've lived here, <clears throat> you know, I, I, I got a sense right away that that was not what it was. I met them all mostly very organically through the castle or just socially, 
<clears throat> like I said, there's there's some peripheral circles. My one of my old acting teachers at, at AMDA used to say, think of your your friendship like like a mountain. It's like the base of it, right at the base of the mountain. That's kind of like people you are acquainted with, and then as you go up, there's those those circles get tighter. Then the summit, that's the people that will you're, you know, you're ride or die, if you will. That will you see all the time. Will do anything for you. Will do anything for them. So, but we you know we have it's it's transparency. Mm. That's what it. That's what I think what it comes down to. So is it, it trust? You, you see people differently. Yes, yeah. yes. I think yeah. I, I, I have. Yeah, well, well, yes. I, I look at it. magic is really it's all in the details, and what I what kind of how I explain it to people in general is it's like creative problem solving. Here's something an ordinary thing. What can I what can I do with this? How can I make this? This this pencil turned into a feather duster, or 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 what have you? How can I make this microphone that's that I'm staring at levitate in front of you? <clears throat> so it, it's creative problem solving, but make it do that in such a way where you can't see what I'm doing and make it seem magical. So it's it yes, I I do look at things. It it, it forces you to look at things in a different way. It, it's 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 creative problem solving, looking at things literally outside of the box. Yeah. That maybe other people don't don't quite have that perspective, and that's one of the things I love about it because it's like photographers. Depending on what kind of photography you 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 practice, uh, it's you know if it's headshots or portraits or, but they're you're all, they're always looking at things around you, observing the world through a different lens. Quote to, to sure. use that analogy. Yeah, absolutely. So how can people find you? So my Instagram is at. Fortissimo Magic, F-O-R-T-I-S-S-I-M-O Magic. Let's see, Twitter is at Fred Falk Magic, or my website is fredfalkmagic.com. It's just F-R-E-D-F-A-L-K Magic.com. And I'll put links to all that on Marvelous. Hey Human Podcast. And this has really been a great time for well, me. Well, I'm I, glad, yes. I love this kind of stuff. And I... <laughs> Ever since I was little, I've loved magic, and I'm always bummed out at the people, because there's always those people in the audience that are like, that's not real, that's magic. I'm like, it, just let go. You know, it amazes fun. me, just, just to button it up, you know, that you say that, especially when I'm at the castle. If I'm there by myself in an evening, I'll spend, if I, especially if I've seen the performer before, I'll watch the audience watch them. And it's amazing to me. It's always these really bro-y guys. When we, when we leave the showroom, we go to the bar, I'll kind of listen to them and say, they'll try to impress their wives or their girlfriends and say, oh yeah, this is how we do that. I'm saying, oh, Honey, you're adorable. You could not be so wrong. But then there's these people just sitting there crossed arms the whole time. It's it's people I've noticed that are very type A executives and CEOs, people in, in great positions of power that don't like not knowing how something's done. Well, they, how, they feel they're being tricked. Well, well right. Or... And people say, why did you come to the magic castle? <laughs> you knew what you were going to see. Why did you, why do you do this to yourself? I but, like being tricked in those kinds of circumstances. Yes. I think there's, the real life there's a, you know, this, it's why I, I got into magic. You know, I love it. It's, it's that not because I'm trying to pull one over on people, but it's because it's that, it's that sense of bringing you into my world where any Thing could be possible again, making you feeling like a child, like like. But when maybe whatever's going on with your life outside the doors of the club or the theater or the castle, if whatever's going on personally, financially, professionally, if I can bring you into my world for a split second with that reveal or that sense, give you that sense of wonder again, then I that to me is real magic. I agree a hundred percent, and that's the best part of it is it does elicit that feeling. Yeah of wonder yeah. and because people deep down we have this it's built into our dna this 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 longing from the time the moment we're born this curiosity mm. to know how if we don't understand something we want to know sure but also there's there's there's, 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 there's a magic in not knowing as well and just kind of letting letting it happen say, there's a magic in letting go yeah. as well and and that's a beautiful thing too thank you for your time thank you for having me it's it been was a pleasure super fun and uh maybe come back again and you can do some yes some things absolutely <laughs> yeah thanks for Thanks for listening, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review on iTunes.